0: If you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, you can call this number twenty four seven eight 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 six 888 6 advice You can also email your question to com. You can also call or text our studio line at 651 Now, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor, Bruce Helmer. Good morning.
1: Good morning, everyone.
0: Hi, Peg. Hi, Danny
2: Long. I hope you're both well. Uh, hey, Peg, uh, are you in Minnesota or are you in Florida?
1: I'm in Minnesota. Okay. It's about and the same temperature. Here. <laughs> what? I know. I was going to say it's a slightly warmer in Florida this morning, so I d- it doesn't really matter where I am, although I would say the view in Florida is a little uh, prettier than Minnesota right now.
2: <laughs> um, well, you were missed uh, the last couple of weeks when you weren't with us. Uh, it's As everyone always tells me, it's always a much better show when you're here. <laughs> um, so today, we we're going to talk about the fact that not everybody needs a full-blown financial plan. And maybe just for a second, what does the phrase financial plan e- even mean? You know, I, I've said before, a financial plan could be as simple as, me take, tearing off a page off a legal, legal pad and saying, number one, do this, number two, do this, number three, do this, hand it to somebody and say, go do those three things, and that can be a plan. But I think most people, when they think of a financial plan, they're thinking of projections and forecasting and, and determination of what age can they retire and will they be able to retire and not run out of money before they run out of breath. And not everybody needs that, especially at certain ages, and it doesn't always make sense. If you're a very young person and you're not married now, but you want to be someday and you want to have kids someday, and that hasn't happened yet, you're not a homeowner yet, but you want to be, it's probably premature to try to do those kind of complex projections and forecasting. So today we thought we would talk about just some basic steps that probably apply to almost everyone, even if you're not quite ready yet for a what we would call a full-blown financial plan.
1: Yeah, like, and <clears throat> I like this topic, Bruce, in that um, I think a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today, uh, it would be for any age, but what I love about uh, focusing maybe on these 20s and 30s is that I always tell these young people that they're rich, and you might have heard me on this radio show say this before, but all these young people are actually rich and they look at us as older people and say, and say, Oh, I wish I had what they had. You know, why does the 60 year old have the most beautiful car? And I would love to have that in my twenties. Right. And at 60 years old, you know, some of these men and women are having a hard time getting in these sports cars and more, more so getting out of them. And so when I talk about these young people, the reason I say they're rich is because they're rich in time. And so when we talk about compounding of money, uh, I, I take every young person that I see and tell them that story because I find that it's very impactful for them. Now, that wasn't on the outline today, but I wanted to start with that because, There has to be some kind of motivation for people to do anything at all. So we're going to talk about these four steps, but yet, and we're going to try to put them in a very simple structure so that people will take us up on it and go do them. So the one I think is, is very elementary, but maybe not to everyone is you have to organize yourself. So when it comes to your finances, um, you have to determine what what assets do you even have today? And then how much money do you owe people? Liabilities. So you've got assets and liabilities. And I don't know about you, Bruce, but um, unless you were really taught, and I'm talking about people that are in their 20s, unless you were taught in school or you, you know, emulate your parents because uh, they do these things, I find that... Um, You know, our school systems, they don't take a ton of time to say you need to learn just these basic um, financial planning needs. So then you look at your investment accounts. So maybe you're fortunate to have uh, gainfully employed and you're starting to put money in your 401k. But this is what I see. You have debt. You've got school loans. You probably bought a car to get around and maybe you took that. Um out as a loan you might have you know insurance premiums uh, you may have you may have some inheritance coming but i uh, lastly Bruce, I just want to say i never ever ever put a future inheritance on a financial inventory uh assets and liabilities. I'm great even if I'm fine even if they're so comfortable that they're going to get it, I'm like, well, let's plan without it. Bruce?
2: Yeah, I, um, the last point you made, I agree That's that's just gravy on top of the plan if you do end up inheriting anything. And, you know, I I, I like where you started and it, the that, the very idea that people should – not spend more than what they make. It almost seems embarrassing to say that out loud on a radio show, like, who doesn't know that? But when you look at the statistics across the country, a lot of people do spend more than they're bringing in. That's why they're sitting there with balances on onerous high interest. Uh, The interest is not deductible on credit cards. Student loans are maybe a different thing. That was debt that they accumulated while they were getting their education. But there's a lot of Americans that are still spending more than what they're earning. And so how do you know if you're doing that, or if you don't know, here's what I've got, here's what I what I earn, and, and actually take a look at it. So that's kind of step one. Don't spend more than what you make. And people, I think, are doing that and maybe don't even know they're doing that because they don't know what they have and what they owe. So it may seem oversimplified, but I think that is the appropriate. Starting point for this whole discussion.
1: And Bruce, I like to look at the net deposit that goes into your paycheck uh, as far as your income. So a lot of people, when they go out interviewing for a job, and you hear that um, the annual salary is going to be fifty thousand or sixty thousand, I mean, uh, you may think, oh, that is that's great. But um, right away, you have to say, well, how much of that do I really get to keep? You know, first you've got taxation, and then you're probably going to want to save through some company plans, and then they withdraw money for your medical insurance. Um, So there's all sorts of deductions, and what you really get to then work with is that net money that comes in. And then also, if you do have some savings, that might be kicking off income. Like if you have money in the bank or you have um, some, some savings in the stock market, or you have some savings in fixed income, maybe those do have some dividends that you could count as income. Um, And then I think it's harder though, to look at your expenses. And that's the, that's the one that I think is not fun at all, right? To, to, to lay is lay it all out on paper because you will be shocked at really where all this money does go. And then I kind of try to circle the things that were truly discretionary. Like did I really need that thing on that particular month? Um, but there's some people that get to there's some people that you probably know that get to buy whatever they want to buy and they don't have to worry about it. And maybe you envy that type of person, but especially as young people, I think you have to uh, get to reality where you need to know exactly where those net dollars are going. Uh, And then uh, we talk about these Social Security projections, but when you're talking about younger people, I don't think that – Bruce, do you remember when we were young – you have the attitude of that we're going to live forever. And by the way, we're not actually ever going to be like those old people that we see walking on the street. Would you agree? (laughs) Yes. Except now I am one. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the bottom line there is you truly need to take a deeper dive into your income and expenses. Bruce.
2: Well, I like that You brought that up that, um, some expenses are absolutely mandatory. You, you've got to pay your rent or your mortgage. you've got to pay your your car payment, you've got to pay your taxes. but a lot of expenses are optional and they their lifestyle or, or or I don't I don't know if the word frivolous is fair, but um, so you look at what 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 expenses on a monthly or annual basis are mandatory that you absolutely have to pay. And which ones are optional, that you're spending money on things that maybe you don't need? Um, you know, how, how many times a week do you stop at the coffee shop for an expensive coffee? Are you a member of a, of a gym or a health club that you never go to anymore? Are you paying for some sort of premium cable channel that you never watch and so forth? Um, are you going out to dinner, you know, three nights a week? So are there places where if you're spending too much, and you're spending more than you bring in, and you don't have enough money for savings and investing. where can you legitimately cut without you know uh, I, and I'm also not saying you need to you know live like a pauper and never go out and, and live on ramen noodles. It's okay to have some fun once in a while, but not to the point that you're extending more than you're, than you're bringing in. So all this is good stuff, and again, to you and I, this all and maybe even a lot of our, our listeners. This may seem obvious, but we know there's millions of people not doing these things. That's why we're talking about it.
1: Yeah, then when it comes to the debt picture and, you know, how much you do owe, I think it's it's such a negative connotation that you owe that people try to actually almost put mindful blockers on it and just look at kind of the minimum payment. It makes you feel better. But – um You have to have a plan of how you're going to pay off that debt, and are you going to let it go the 30 or 40 years that they allow you to, or um, we see a lot of times multiple debt in multiple different places. So if you have a school loan, maybe you have five of them. And I know there's a lot of uh, assistance out there about how to combine those loans, and then- what we usually do is, um, you know, conventional wisdom, usually people, it says, well, take your biggest loan and try to get rid of that one first. Well, you know, maybe we should look at paying off all the higher interest rates first. That would be my first view. And then, you know, how can we maximize the cash flow and start paying these off? And then if you just make that minimum balance, and boy, did I learn this in my early 20s, uh, that you really don't get your principal paid off at all. And the second thing I learned in my early 20s was that the more that I charged on this credit card, the bigger the payment was. And that payment was just bigger in that it was all interest that I owed. So you truly can get behind very quickly if you don't understand that math. Um, and so I encourage people to, uh, if you, if you can't afford it, and I was one of these people too, that for discipline reasons, we, my husband and I would put cash in an envelope and that was all the money we had for that week. And so what we, um, after experiencing the fact that, and this is before I married my husband, but I didn't understand that these credit cards got you in trouble. So just this discipline of putting money in an envelope and saying this is what we have for this week can help, especially if you're working on trying to get rid of debt. Uh, and we're not talking about um, smart debt, like if you if you bought an asset, you know, with your payment, that's one thing. But if you bought a new dress because you wanted to look good at the party, you know, on the weekend. Uh, for for lots of money, that's that's not an asset. That's something that probably <laughs> dropped ninety percent when you bro- walked out of that store, Bruce.
2: Yeah, great points. You know, and again, I, I see people. Um, so let's kind of wrap this up and move on. I see people with this inefficient debt. So we're saying, number one, try not to find yourself in that position. But number two, if you are there, the the, the best way to dig your way out of it. I see people, Peg, and you do too, they've got a balance on three or four credit cards and they'll send a few extra bucks to each one of them while they're spinning their wheels and not getting anywhere. you got to focus on the most onerous one, apply all the extra dollars to that one and keep doing that till that one's paid off and then go to the next one. That's going to be way more effective. So number one, hopefully don't find your, yourself in this position, but number two, if you do, there's a smart, smarter way to try to dig your way back out of it. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, we, we, we talk about saving and investing. And if you if you're if you're spending less than what you earn, now you've got some money to save and invest for, for tomorrow. Let's talk a little bit about doing that and how to do that and assuming people do have a little extra that they can put away for their future.
1: Yeah, this is the fun part. This is now you actually have some money. What do you do with it? Well, what we find is, um, what is the willingness of taking risk? So some of this taking risk, we, we tend to follow people that we've maybe watched in our life. So if you've been around people that have been really, really conservative, then you may tend to be conservative. If you've been around people that go to casinos and they try to make money fast, you may have some inkling to be like those people. So um, we try to educate people in how much risk should you take to meet the goals and objectives that you have. So even young people should have goals. Um, It's tough to do if you don't have these goals to even design an an investment plan. Now, if you are in your 20s and 30s, um, you're probably a long way from retirement. And, I, this, and every time I hear this, Bruce, uh, you know, how far are you away from retirement is how you should invest your money, percentage in stock versus bond. I totally disagree. We should all be managing our money to our mortality, not to that retirement date. And the reason I say that is because we're all living longer and we actually can't just You know, invest to our retirement date, we actually have to get through maybe as many years as you've worked during retirement. So um, that's just a couple points that I wanted to make and highlight there, Bruce.
2: Yeah, and and I just want to add to that. Again, I I get, um, okay, young people, if they're contributing to a 401k plan, and they have a long time horizon before they're going to ever use that money, presumably. Now, again, Sometimes people, unfortunately, cannibalize their retirement plans before they get to retirement, and we hope you're not doing that or you don't have to do that or that doesn't happen to you. But if you're in your 20s or 30s or even your 40s, you're you're 20 years or more away from using that money. That's money that you can afford to be aggressive with, with. That's money that you can afford to have exposed to stocks. And I will still occasionally see somebody young with a conservative portfolio, or even having the money in fixed interest accounts. And I will coach them, look, I want you to have some safe fixed interest money, but that's short-term money. That's not money in your retirement plan that you're not gonna touch for 20, 25, or 30 years. So as much as we talk about that on this show, I still see it. I just saw it within the last week, I reviewed the investments of a young person's 401k plan, and in my mind, it was just way too conservative. It was set up for somebody 60 getting ready to retire, and they were in their 30s. So the amount of risk that you're, you're willing to take or need to take to achieve your goals and objectives, um, I get that some people have, have low risk tolerance. I'm not insensitive to that. But again, money that, that is long-term money, um, you, need to, you need to have exposure to growth. You need to and, and the other thing peg about risk, and, and Denny and listeners, everybody thinks of risk in terms of risk of principle. If I put money in the market, it could retract in value. It could go backwards. True. Absolutely true, and we need to be aware of that. Although long, the longer the time horizon, the less likely that's going to be. And the other thing, though, to think about is with regard to risk, it's not just risk of principle, but to me, to get conservative and have a very low return on my, uh, m- on my invested assets, I run the risk of running out of money before I die because I don't get enough return. That's a far greater risk in my mind if people don't think about that. Um, Peg, we've got less than two minutes. Any other key things you want to get out before we take a break?
1: Yeah, there's a couple, Bruce. Um, when you're looking at your choices like in your work plan, your four hundred one K, we tend to gravitate towards, you know, um high performance, uh low cost, uh, and understand, you know, uh, your options. And then we tend to encourage rebalancing because so if you have different types of stocks or bonds. You're going, some are winners and some are losers. You're going to want to review that. It's not just, uh, you know, invest and forget it. And then a lot of people, Bruce, they default to these target risk funds and they're available in 401ks. And I'm absolutely fine in starting out that way. But once you start to create a bigger nest egg, then I like to diversify out of those and start picking exactly where you want to be invested.
2: Well, let's do this, Um, Danny. um, uh, Let's take our break. We'll come back. Uh, We'll we'll offer any additional thoughts we have or kind of wrap up the topic. And then hopefully we'll let listeners uh, drive the show most of the
0: second half. Very good. All right, Bruce and Peg, stand by. Uh, You can call or text our studio line with your financial questions. Here's the one number that will get either the text or the call, 651 Four six one nine two two six. Also, keep in mind if you think of a question midweek, you can either email your question to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com, or uh, you can call eight 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 six advice and leave that uh, question online there. But call us six five one four six one nine two two six, or send a text. We'll be back on the other side with more of your money. If you have a financial f- a question, you can call or text our studio line. Here is the number, 651-461-9226. And again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Danny Long. Uh,
2: thanks for staying with us, everyone. Or if you're just joining us, Peg and I have been talking about some basic things that almost everybody should do Um, We kind of focused it on young people, but the truth is these things that we're talking about are applicable to everyone, and not everybody wants or needs what we would call a a real comprehensive, real detailed financial plan, but there's certain basic financial fundamentals that almost everybody should adhere to. So we talked uh, primarily about, you know, um, gather information, gather and organize your data and determine what you owe and what you have coming in and try to focus on not uh, spending more than you make. Then we talked about if you do have debt, focus on the efficiency of that debt. Uh, If you've accumulated some debt, how can we reduce it? How can we get rid of it? What's the best way to go about it? We talked a little bit then about if you are fortunate enough to be saving and investing, maybe you're participating in your company 401k or whatever the retirement plan is. Maybe you've even got some investments outside of a retirement plan. What does your asset allocation look like? Are you uh, investing in an appropriate manner for your situation? And Peg, the one thing we didn't talk about, although we kind of danced all around it, is we didn't talk about uh, creating a budget.
1: Yeah, we um, we didn't talk about creating a budget. And before we go there though, I missed I missed a really important point as far as uh asset allocation and working with your four oh one Ks. Uh we often talk about tax diversification and this is this would be a great point for young people and of any age in that you need to consider how your money's going to be taxed after you invest it. So is it actually taxable immediately? Is it tax deferred for the future? Or is it somewhat tax advantaged? So a lot of these companies within 401ks give what they call matches. So if I put a dollar in, they may match my dollar and add money to the plan. Well, that's free money. So everybody listening, if they offer that, you want to take 100%, invest 100% and take their match. Well, then after you've Taken that percentage, lots of the plans now offer uh, deductible, not deductible, well, yeah, deductible off your taxes, but also Roth IRA or Roth deposits where you indeed pay the tax now. And then you can um, actually put it in a Roth so that it grows tax rate. Well, one of the things that we've done um, on the show for decades now is we've coached people to invest up to the match, then uh, come and do a personal Roth IRA where you would take money you know, after tax and put it in a Roth. And then once you have that filled up, so the dollar amount that you can put in um, right now is actually $6,000 a year, and then if you're a baby boomer, 50 or older, you can put in 7,000. But then after that, go back to your work plan. And why do I say that even though Roth Roths are available inside company plans now is because the liquidity of those Roths, if you go and do them personally, you have a lot more access to that Roth versus I feel like a lot of these young people don't put as much in this work plan because they think – that they can't get it all, you know, some or all of it back until they're 59 and a half. So, Bruce, I just wanted to quickly go over that because that was a huge point on our outline. And I, I failed to mention it.
2: Yeah, and and I had pegged ex- in the, lo- oh, I'm sorry, ahead. within the last week, Peg, I literally, within the last few days, um, I have a client, their company matches on their 401k dollar for dollar on the first 3%. And then fifty cents on the dollar um, for the next two percent over three percent. So in other words, if my client puts away five percent into the plan, and this is five percent of their income, that's what this is based on. The company will put in four, so that's nine percent. And in this case, um, they don't have a Roth option in the company plan, but they still have discretionary money. So I talked about exactly what you just said about putting up to $6,000 into an individual Roth, and this person is in their early 30s, and they're looking for more things to do, and I said, if you, if you put in 5% to your company plan with a 4% match, and you max fund a Roth IRA, you are well on your way on the right path to financial success And you're way ahead of most of your chronological age peers. Just be happy with yourself and be proud of yourself because you're doing great. So it's exactly, I encountered exactly what you just said.
1: Yeah, and most people wouldn't even think that way. So, um, And then just quickly on the budget, a lot of points that we made today uh, transform into kind of having a budget, meaning, you know, figuring out your assets and liabilities and then how much – Um, how much should you be spending Uh, figure out your wants and needs Um, make sure that you're reviewing how you're spending and using credit cards Uh, habits Uh, the first thing I would tell people and I have is um, go listen to a podcast on habits because what I find Bruce is habits um, are developed by somewhat watching people which I said earlier in this program and then Habits are hard to, you know, get yourself to change. But I find there's a lot of podcasts on habits and how do you create a new one? How do you get rid of a bad one? And a lot of this, Bruce, is just about having good habits and having the desire to be successful. You know, whether you want to retire early, all these baby steps that you make today pay off big time in the long term.
2: I think that's brilliant. And that isn't even, you're right, Peg, that that what you just said about habits, I think you're absolutely right. And it's not part of our outline. It's just, you know, I, and it's, it's just one of those things that, that if you develop good habits, you're going to increase your chances of success. And, and if you have bad habits, um, you're going to increase your chances of not being successful. And again, as painfully obvious as that sounds, I think a lot of people need to hear that or or they need to know that. Um, Danny, I'm going to throw it back to you in a second, but one last thought I had, Beg, when you talk about budgeting, and I don't diminish the importance of it. I I think it it is important, but I've said on this show before that I personally don't budget, but let me explain that. Um, I don't budget because for a lot of years, I've just made a commitment to do what I call pay myself first. I think you said sometimes, Beg, hide your money from yourself. I, I max out the company retirement plan and I've got other investments that I make absolutely. That's the first thing I do every month. And then I live on what's left over. So I think part of the reason is that people need to budget is so they can find that discretionary income to save and invest for their future. But I'm able to do that first, and then live on the rest. I recognize that not everybody listening to me right now has that kind of a luxury, but but even though I don't budget per se, I do know what my mandatory fixed expenses are. I know what my nut is every month that I that I have to crack. I know what my 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 cost of living is, not counting the optional um, lifestyle enjoyment discretionary stuff. So I don't know how much I spend on fun, and I don't really worry about it because I've committed to saving and investing first. But I do know what my mandatory expenses are. And I think everybody, you know, needs to at least know that. So you know how much money you do have left over to have some fun. And and um, I've never been and I don't think you are either the type of financial advisor that says, no, you have to squirrel away every penny, you can't enjoy life, you have to sock it away until you retire. It's not an either or decision. I think some people think, I, I have to do that, or I don't get to have any fun, or I, if I'm having fun, I'll never be able to retire. You can, I think you can do both if you have a plan and proper balance. You can have fun along the way. Because as COVID has taught us, if we didn't already know, tomorrow is not guaranteed. So it's okay to have fun along the way. Just don't have so much fun that you torpedo your ability to retire when you want to um, with the lifestyle that you want to. Peg, anything else, or should we go to the listeners? Let's
1: get the listeners involved. All
0: right, very good. We have callers, we have texters. Uh, Let's uh, grab a phone call. I think who's first up here. Kent is calling in this morning. Uh, Thank you, Kent. What's your question for Bruce and Peg?
3: Yeah, I'm just talking about this topic of uh, spending more than you make. Now, I'm old, but I grew up in a real rare, stable family. My parents could have been Edith and, you know, Archie Bunker. I grew up a conservative Republican, a uh, uh, capitalist type of thing. And the work ethic, the work ethic, You know, you work yourself to the bone and you save and all that kind of stuff. And then when you grow up, you've got enough money to do that. Now, that's all changed these days. I know some really good people, good people, that the reason why they spend more than they make is they can't make enough. The jobs are not so available type of thing. And, and how is it possible that we have so many people with 50000 a $100,000 of college debt, if they, if they went through college, they were kind of smart people, and they're working at McDonald's. I mean, what has happened to our economy? And people have, I know people that have just given up, they just spend, and then... People that have big debt, they don't care because I think I I get robocalls that say, hey, if you have a credit card debt, you can eliminate it through this process. Or get away from your student loan. All of your debt you can get away. So why doesn't this encourage people? I mean, people have really, good people have really given up. The model has been broken. You can't really desire and, and make more. Then you spend because expenses have gone. So the wheels have come off things,
2: and they're they're just locked into this. And
3: All right, Bruce and Peg, what do you ha- think
0: of Kent's comments, Kent? Thank you.
2: Hey, hey I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Kent, thank you. I, I think Peg, what Kent is really saying, um, I'll pose it this way: Have we lost the ability to achieve the American dream?
1: Yeah, I. <laughs> It, it's kind of interesting. It's uh, it's a lot of great points there because I would say, you know, I'm in the camp of uh, taught that, uh, you know, hard work would get you uh, everywhere that you want to go. And what's happened is, is even as I was a young person, um, you know, we had to work hard because there was a lot of competition for our jobs. If we didn't work hard, someone else would just come in and take our jobs. Well, then um, when we found out that things were starting to cost more, um, there was kind of an evolution of women going to work. And now you've got two people working in the household, which actually created more income, but it also created more desire for all sorts of things. Uh, You know, a house and, and having to get daycare and, you know, all of that. And then you have, um, you know, the, the, you start to get some money in, in the stock market has actually uh, presented real growth for people, but not enough to keep up with the cost of things. I would agree with Kent, because all of a sudden, you know, you've got two people out working, but you actually need all sorts of more things. And, and the, the statement that I'll make is, I think that the, the generations before You know, they wanted more for their kids, and that leads me to this college idea. I I, I am saddened by the fact that parents felt like uh, they had to have their kids go to college because maybe they didn't, and they just saw that that would give them a better future to the degree where we um, maybe went overboard saying that they they should go to college versus maybe a vocational or some kind of a trade school. So then we get to my last point is I agree, too, that wages have not kept up with inflation. I look back at what I was paid 30 years ago for a job. And if I added inflation, we are as a society not close to uh, what that would be to match like my first job when I got out of college. So all those things have been kind of a ripple effect and slowly happened, but now we're recognizing, uh, is the American dream, you know, really the American dream? And it's not just Americans, right? We have a lot of other people that are in the U.S. now and actually have assisted us in a long, you know, have assisted us in getting where we are today somewhat. and uh, We can't forget that either. Bruce?
2: Just really quickly, because it's such a, Kent is right there, and he, he made a lot of good points, but it's obviously not a question with a definitive answer. I mean, what am I going to say to people to to solve the problem, even if we accept the premise of, of Kent's uh, narrative? Um, I would still say all the things that we've talked about, you increase your chances. Are there good, hardworking people out there that just can't make it? Absolutely. Kent is right. But do you increase your chances by developing good habits, by working hard, by saving and investing, by getting an education? Do you increase your odds of success? Absolutely. There's still bad things can happen to good people and you still might not achieve that American dream, but you can't tell me it's not still possible. I know it's a different world today than uh, than when I was a kid. My kids had very different experiences um, and COVID has changed things, but I think, I. I just still believe you don't throw in the towel. We did a show on this great resignation that we're talking about of people just chucking it in, quitting their job. We actually did a show on that, and what we found out is it's not as prevalent as originally uh, people thought. They're just changing jobs. They're looking for something more fulfilling, more intrinsically rewarding, maybe that allows them to work from home, uh, whatever, so... Um, Kent, you made a lot of great points. Uh, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know you increase your chances of success if you work hard and save and invest and you be smart.
0: I think we have time for another call before we grab some text messages. Robert is on the line with a question. Robert, thank you. What is your question?
3: Yes, uh, I was wondering, Bruce, about I-bonds. I understand that they're uh, paying a pretty good interest rate, and uh, I'm not familiar with them. And I was wondering if you have them in your investments for your uh, customers, and uh, how about uh, how how do you do go about uh, getting one? I'll hang up and.
2: Hey Robert, thanks for listening and thanks for the question. And I know you addressed it to me, but it just so happens that the best person at WEG, uh, Wealth Enhancement Group on bonds is Peg Webb. So Peg, I bonds are inflation protected bonds, right?
1: Yes. So inflation protection bonds, this is actually a great question, Robert, because it's coming up a lot in that inflation is in the news. So the U.S. Treasury Department uh, issues these I-bonds. And as individuals, they limit us to buying $10,000 worth of these bonds. We can't buy any more directly from the government. What the government does is they take the inflation number, And they give that to us as interest, and they reset that on a semi-annual basis. So the last six-month number was 7%, and that's gotten everybody like, oh my goodness, I want that 7% bond. Well, technically, they're really 30-year bonds, and you can't really sell them before five years, and you have to kind of take what the government gives you. So they're very limited. So then when people say, oh, I can only buy that many, now nah, I'm not going to go on their website because that's how you can get them. And that's the only way you can get them other than, this is kind of quirky too, if you have a refund on your taxes, you can put 5000 of that refund into an additional bond if you want to. So then how does the rest of the world invest in these if it's so limited through the uh, U.S. Treasury? Well, there's, there's treasury bonds out there that are inflation um, type of bonds that we can buy through institutions. And Wealth Enhancement Group does have a portfolio that we include inflation protected bonds in it. And it, it, we usually use those in that a lot of our clients have fixed income as well. And there's an inversion. When interest rates start to go up, Um, values of bonds go down. So that's the ugly part of bonds. So if you own a 1% bond and now you can go get a 2% bond, well, your value of your bond is going to go down if you want to sell that to someone. So the inversion is, well, if you buy some of these inflation protection bonds alongside, as a diversification, uh, inflation protection bonds, when interest rates go up, usually inflation starts to show its ugly head and then that will offset some of your loss in your bonds. So that's how we manage or, or try to manage that in our investment department. Uh, hopefully, that answered your question, Robert.
2: Yeah, and Peg, the only thing I would add is I, I like them. Even, I mean, they're, they've, they've gained some traction and some uh, notoriety right now because inflation is, 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 is up. But even when inflation's not up, I've always, I've always liked them. You too?
1: Oh, absolutely, because we don't know when it's going to happen. So it's right. like every That's other fun. investment, that putting them in your portfolio uh, is a good thing.
2: I, yeah, I, I, I've always liked inflation bonds. Danny, I thought maybe we'd uh, have time to squeeze in one more, but my little clock on the wall is saying that we probably don't have time uh, for any more questions, but uh, maybe we tell folks how to reach us during the week and whatnot, and uh, everybody make it a great week.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Bruce. There are a couple of ways that you could uh, give us your uh, financial question, and we'll pick it up on uh, future shows. You can call this uh, number 24 7, as a matter of fact, and that number is one eight 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 six 6Advice. Again, that's 888 6Advice. You think of a financial question midweek or so, you can call and just leave that question. Or, if it's easier, you can send it via email at money at wealthenhancement.com. Again, if it's easier for you to send a, uh, an email question, do so at uh, yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com, Or call us at 1-888-6ADVICE. Again, 888-6ADVICE. 24-7, that's available to you. We'll be back again next week with more of your money.